When I saw just the dynamics of the intersection between a meandering river channel and a, and a broad reforested area, I knew, oh, this is where I need to spend my time. Hi, this is Dave Kaler, and welcome to Riverspeak, where we discover rivers through telling the stories of people that would work to save them. In this episode, we talk with Julie Rentner, president of River Partners. We'll learn how Julie is bringing life back to rivers in California's Central Valley, and we'll discover what she describes as the secret sauce for successful large-scale river restoration. Julie Rentner's experience in big landscapes got started early in life on Mount Diablo. Mount Diablo rises 3,800 feet above sea level in the eastern San Francisco Bay Area. The mountain dominates the horizon and offers top-of-the-world views to its visitors. It's easy to understand why it is a sacred place for native Californians. Waters flowing off Mount Diablo's north slope form Marsh Creek. The steep drainages of Marsh Creek supports a dense riparian forest. This is where Julie's story begins. So I grew up with the back of my neighborhood right up to Mount Diablo State Park, which is an enormous open space area. And throughout all of my childhood, I loved spending my time on Mount Diablo, just hiking the trails, watching the seasons. Um, I got to know Marsh Creek, which is a big drainage off the north side of Mount Diablo, as kind of my natal stream. And um, through all of that time interacting with open space in that state park, I've actually developed a deep and sincere love of forests. Julie took her interest in forests with her to UC Berkeley, where she earned a Bachelor of Science degree in forestry, and then went on to get her Master's in Natural Resource and Environmental Management from the University of Hawaii. Life events took Julie to Merced, California, and she found herself at the intersection of forests and rivers. I remember on the the second interview for a job as a scientist with River Partners, I got into a pickup truck and they said, we're going to show you one of our projects, one of our reforestation projects. And what these folks showed me was not just large-scale reforestation, which I thought was very impressive and interesting, but they showed me the way that forests in very lowland parts of rivers, you know, we're talking about the, the very flat floodplain part of the San Joaquin River, um, how it interacts with forests in ways I had never really even thought about or been taught or, you know, understood. Um, when I saw that there is this very direct connection between forests and river health, river quality, wildlife corridors that doesn't exist up in the mountains far away from where everybody is, but exists in the bottom of the valley where lots of towns and people are and where farms and uh, large aqueducts and highways are, I realized, oh, this is an incredible place. These rivers are incredibly hardworking. They definitely need a lot of help. That pickup ride that Julie mentioned and her matchup with River Partners took place about 15 years ago. In 2019, Julie became president when John Carlin, one of River Partners' founders, 
retired and passed his longtime colleague, the Baton. As our conversation with Julie deepens, I love how she describes the importance of rivers as communities to which we belong. When I saw just the dynamics of the intersection between a meandering river channel and a, and a broad reforested area, I knew, oh, this is where I need to spend my time. And as I got to know the lowland river systems across California, both in coastal systems and in the Central Valley, I realized just how um, incredibly high functioning these river systems are in terms of providing wildlife habitat for for huge numbers and great diversity of wildlife, but also our rivers, these lowland portions of our rivers below the terminal dams, they actually provide all of this important public safety function where they safely convey flood flows away from cities and towns. They deliver water to millions of Californians. Um, waters that flow out of the Sierra Nevadas and down through our river systems make it to the intakes for our large, our large water systems in California. So they pump into the California aqueduct and millions of Californians are, are drinking this water and using this water in their homes. And um, so I was sold not just on how beautiful a, a meandering river channel and its restored forested floodplains are, but just how important these systems are to so many people in California. The majority of River Partners work is implementing large-scale river restoration projects in the Central Valley floodplains of the two largest river systems in California, the Sacramento and San Joaquin Rivers. The headwaters of the Sacramento River originate from Mount Shasta and the Klamath Mountains north of Redding and flows 400 miles south. The headwaters of the San Joaquin originate in the Sierra from the Minarets Range near Yosemite and the north face of Mount Goddard in Kings Canyon National Park. The San Joaquin flows 366 miles. The two rivers join forming the California Delta before their waters ultimately reach the Pacific Ocean through the San Francisco Bay. Over the past 150 years, these rivers have been mined, dammed, dewatered, rerouted, and repurposed to a point where their ecological health and function has been drastically compromised. That's where River Partners steps in. River Partners has a bold vision of bringing life back to rivers with the hard, detailed work of rebuilding wild places, creating homes for wildlife, and improving our landscapes for the benefit of future generations. Let's find out more about how Julie and her team at River Partners goes about their work in these big river systems. What we've learned over 20 years is that the, uh, the level of devastation that, you know, we have, we, you know, all of us have, have wrought on the function of our lowland river systems in the Western US, probably in all of North America, is beyond what we could have imagined. You know, as our understanding about the intersections between forests and rivers and the intersections between uh, rivers and floodplains and water quality and flood conveyance and what uh, the climate change models are predicting is going to happen to the hydrology of North America over the next couple of decades. It's clear that we've done a lot more damage to these very important systems, ecological and hydrologic systems, than we ever 
I think, conceived of. I also see a huge need for deeper science. It's astounding to me that we're still just starting to learn about the different ways that river systems intersect with our groundwater supplies and land subsidence and the future of a bunch of the gray infrastructure that we've created to support our cities and towns. And what we're starting to wrap our minds around is that by draining off river floodplains, diverting you know, huge percentages of our river flow to other uses, we've, we've caused it, we've set off a chain of events that's pretty destructive to the way that we've built our environments um, around rivers and particularly downstream of rivers. So um, River Partners got a secret sauce around inviting non-traditional partners to the table and learning to speak the language of different uh, types of engineers and land managers um, is really, I think, required to get to the scale that we need to really address improving the science, improving our understanding of how our rivers support our, our industries and our cities today, and then how we can conceive of ways that we can improve the way that rivers interact with groundwater, flood supply, and of course, our dwindling wildlife population. Intrinsic to Julie's nature and the culture of River Partners, forming collaborative partnerships are central to achieving successful river restoration projects. Julie describes how that works seeing how you can bring so many different diverse perspectives. A farmer, a fisheries ecologist, um, a, a city manager, um, a, a university student uh, to the table and have a, a robust conversation about what needs to happen in this area, what once used to happen in this area, what we could possibly do in this area and come out at the other end with a, with a project with a plan, with something you can actually do to change the landscape. And I've seen this happen enough times to know that um, there are patterns in how you know collaborative partnerships come together. And when you can bring folks together around um, a, a feasible and implementable project idea, man, you can change the landscape. You can change whole river reaches. You can really improve conditions for lots and lots of people. So let's take a look at the implementation phase. I asked Julie to describe the approach River Partners takes to get these thousands and thousands of trees in the ground. River Partners, when we were founded 20 years ago, we were founded by farmers who um, understood that engagement from local people, local communities, local interests, all of the different colors of local interest um, was going to be essential to designing projects that could actually get off the ground and then actually become reality. And so they set up an entire system of uh, collaborate, collaborative project planning, um, engaging neighbors, farmers, and engineers of various kinds in the very first stages of conceiving of a river restoration project. And then they even figured out ways to design the implementation of a river restoration project to utilize local resources. So in the planning phase of a river restoration project, they thought, I'm gonna to talk to my neighbors and see what kind of heavy equipment do they have? Are bulldozers around and long reach excavators? Cause if they're not, and we'd have to bring those in from far away to get the job done, maybe we think about designing this project differently so that our neighbor can actually help install the project. 
um, they also thought uh, a lot about vegetation and reforestation, and they designed large-scale implementation systems, right? Large-scale planting designs where the person putting the tree in the ground doesn't have to necessarily understand all of the ecological thought that went into which plant should go in which part of this river restoration project. Instead, uh, some scientists who have great knowledge about horticulture and vegetation can kind of you know, work with a, with a community of academics and figure out what they think would be the best planting design. And then that planting design is translated through a database into a system that uh, lays out across hundreds of acres um, with planting tags that are designed to have just number codes on them for the individual plant species that need to be planted here. This approach to planning enables river partners to hire a diverse workforce from the local community for the implementation phase. And what that does for communities is it takes the benefit of the river restoration project out of the kind of the abstract or the long term, like, oh, in the long term, your flood safety will be improved because we set back a levee or we reconnected some floodplain areas. But it makes the benefit really immediate. People can feel you know, a job or a contract in the installation phase of the river restoration project. And then the, the way that that makes the project successful is by the time the project is done, everybody in the neighborhood feels a part of the project, understands a component of the project, uh, feels like they got something out of it immediately as well as into the future, and are excited about partnering on doing another one. So Julie's going to give us a couple examples of how River Partners' approach to collaborative planning and design plays out with projects on the ground. The first is a 3,100-acre project called Three Amigos. The land is now part of the San Joaquin River National Wildlife Refuge. Its location is west of Modesto, near the confluence of where the Tuolumne joins the main stem of the San Joaquin River. It's on the San Joaquin River. It's called the Three Amigos um, because there were three levee breaks that happened in 1997. There were vast flood floods in the area across the whole Central Valley. It was a massive storm event that caused so much damage across um, California. And in this particular river reach on the San Joaquin River, three levees breached all at the same time. And the folks who owned the farmland that was flooded in those levee breaches all agreed that they didn't want to fix those levees and continue farming that ground. They were ready to sell that ground and get out of harm's way. They were tired of moving their dairy cows out of the way when floodwaters were coming. They were tired of recovering their farm fields after a major flood event where sediments landed across the landscape and washed away their barns. And so they raised their hands and said, we'll be part of something that is different. It's a non-structural alternative to this flood recovery. Instead of rebuilding those levees, we'll go ahead and sell our properties to somebody who wants to manage these lands as flood corridors. And at the same time that landowners were coming to that realization, the federal government and state government, multiple agencies in each, were realizing just how important those lands would be for the recovery of Chinook salmon in the San Joaquin River. 
and for the recovery of um, a whole suite of uh, declining wildlife that's on our state and federal endangered species acts. And at the same time that those wildlife focused agencies were realizing how important this non-structural alternative flood control project could be, federal and state agencies that are dedicated to agricultural land conservation and water quality also realized how important it could be for those lands to serve as a buffer um, for water drainage back into the San Joaquin River to try to improve water quality, um, as well as um, providing a host of other environmental quality benefits for adjacent farms, specifically supporting um, an increase in, in pollinators um, that could help to pollinate the nut crops in the area or um, improving the um, abundance of uh, hawks and raptors that can actually hunt ground squirrels that can be a real nuisance for farmers. So there was this great confluence where we said, look, there's, there's, an, there's a, an alternative we can do with the river here instead of just rebuilding the levees in place the way we normally would after this flood event. What if we transform this landscape? And this area I'm talking about is about eight river miles long. Why don't we transform this landscape into a, a wildlife habitat and flood corridor area? And I watched over the course of two and a half years, uh, millions of dollars materialized from a host of different pro uh, programs and um, local decision makers, state decision makers and federal decision makers all coming to the table and saying, we all agree this is a good idea. And then at the end of that time, the money, the entitlements, the project was off and running. And to see this, you know, first of its kind in the nation, non-structural alternative flood control project come to fruition in a short amount of time was just amazing. Sometimes Julie and her team aren't so fortunate to work in the wide open spaces where a non-structural floodplain approach can be taken. River Partners was asked to look at the floodplain for wildlife habitat improvement on the Stanislaus River near Ripon. The unique challenge with this project was finding a compatible design that worked with an adjacent and existing housing development. When we started to talk to our neighbors and the local community about modifying the banks of the river in this area so that more juvenile baby fish could get up onto the floodplain, we were met with a lot of resistance. Um, we were told that the flood dynamics in the area would undermine the safety of that community and that the, the river can't be changed. Um, so we worked with our friends at the Fish and Wildlife Service and the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation to think of a reconciled approach to habitat restoration for this piece of ground. And we wound up establishing a beautiful riparian forest there um, and just doing a very minor modification that allows a small amount of flood water to get into the restored floodplain area to only during the highest of flood events in a way that doesn't threaten the neighboring community at all. So that project was installed in 2004 to 2007 or so. And just last year, I got out to go visit it again. So this would be 13 years after we stopped touching the landscape at all and just left it to be wild again. And I saw oak trees that we had planted as acorns back in 2004 are now uh, so big, you have trouble wrapping your arms around their trunk. 
and the diversity of the forest, all kinds of different plants, shrubs, trees, cottonwoods, willows, sycamores, um, and then the diversity of bird sounds that you hear, the tweeting and the hooting and the cooing. Um, it's a really beautiful place um, from a, through, through the lens of a, somebody who loves forests and loves rivers. Um, the ecology is really, it's just deep there. It's a really beautiful, immersive place. But what was so amazing when we went and visited this, what I think is a very successful restoration project, is the people living in that neighborhood are using the property. They're walking their dogs down to the river. They're jogging, you know, with their headphones in or jogging and just listening to the bird song and really um, using this parcel of restored floodplain habitat as the neighborhood park. And I thought back to those times when you're we having this, you know, sincere resistance to making any kind of change on the landscape. And then looking around at this kind of idyllic scene today of, of giant oak trees and shade and people running and walking their dogs along the edge of the Stanislaus River. And it just felt so successful um, because sure, the, the trees grew and the wildlife moved back in, that's beautiful. But the, the neighborhood, you know, that was originally a resistant uh, you know, a stakeholder here has now completely adopted this parcel and feels good about it and is using it in uh, ways that improve quality of life. So that feels like a win from so many angles to me. So speaking of quality of life, I was curious to know if Julie was finding time to enjoy the outdoors. When Julie became president of River Partners, her family moved to Yuba City, where she could be closer to their main office in Sacramento. Julie and her husband, Chris, are the proud parents of three youngsters. And amidst the parenting challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic, they're still finding time to get outside. And they found a very special place on the Feather River. One of our favorite things to do with these little kids, um, they're ages six and four and just turned three, is we take them down to the Feather River to go for a swim and to get out to the, to the beach where there's a nice swimming hole on the river, we have to take about a, it's about a three quarter of a mile hike through the woods. So all along the way, we get to point out plants, which ones to stay away from and which ones are, are interesting and fun to touch. <laughs> um, how to keep sand out of your sandals, uh, how to keep a happy attitude even if you're hungry or tired. And then when we finally get to the river, it's just such a treat to cool off in the, in the beautiful clean water of the Feather River. So we'll say goodbye for now and let Julie enjoy that swimming hole before she gets back to it. I hope you enjoyed her story and discovering how River Partners brings new life to our rivers. To learn more about the work that Julie and her team does, go to riverpartners.org. Thanks for joining us today. All episodes of Riverspeak Podcast, along with links, podcast notes, and photos, are available on our website, riverspeak.org. Riverspeak Podcast is produced at my home studio in Sebastopol, California, and hosted by Buzzsprout. You can listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast directories. All rivers have stories that ripple. I'm Dave Kaler. Be well and do good work.